Ladies and gentlemen, faithful legionnaires, welcome to the final episode of The Broken Shelf, episode 210. This is going to be, perhaps not from a content perspective, a whirlwind episode, but just before this episode, I was telling my wonderful co-host, Alexander the Tsar, just the mess with my family, and like last Saturday, I got blasted drunk for the first time in years. It's been a real emotional December. I think I can fairly say that. And for some reason, like it just feels like 2021 for me was a negative year, although there were so many positive things I did. And I think one of the reasons it was so negative is unfortunately because I knew the broken shelf was coming to an end. Over these last five or six episodes, as we've gone through top 10 episodes and reflection episodes, digesting high levels of emotion between the co-hosts and I, talking about the past, talking about possible futures, indulging in memories, indulging in the pride that we have for this podcast. It's been emotional for me. It's been an anchor in my life for four years. And I know I'm starting this episode very emotionally heavy, but that's because it is. I truly believe that I regressed in some areas in 2021, but in the recesses of my mind, the broken shelf has always been my outlet into creativity, into a schedule. It's been a resilient part of my life. And as it comes to a close, it's such a melancholy feeling when you know you have all this creative energy and you're ready to move on into writing, into sacrificing other things to become better. And although it's painful that it's coming to an end, and I'll probably repeat so much of this at the end, but I wanted to say it up front, man, the broken shelf needed to come to an end because over this last year, it's been a good resilient wait, but it's time to change. And we will unpack all of that as this episode goes on. But first, before I get any more emotional, I have to thank and introduce the man who's been here the entire time. In Alan's Reflection episode, we talked about how we always wanted to podcast, how we came to being podcasters when we originally started with the Legion Soul Food Network, but for some reason that just didn't work, and we talked all about that in the episode, but one other anchor I had, maybe the rope or the chain on the anchor who helped guide me and helped keep me firm in my resolve was Alexander the Tsar, my partner for the first 14 to 15 episodes. And that's why we became the broken shell. Because I had a partner, because week in and week out for that first very heavy and difficult time of getting something started, he was there. So Alexander the Tsar, welcome to the final episode. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you. And uh, I thank you for that emotional introduction. I honestly say I can um, I can sympathize with all of that because I feel much of the same way about this podcast. And you're right. It is, it is a very melancholy feeling in that it's bittersweet. I know this is something you poured your heart and soul into. I watched you for four years just work your butt off on thinking of ideas organizing episodes, figuring out who would be a good guest for each topic, uh, selecting books, and of course, your tireless efforts in editing. I can't even imagine how many hours you spent going into the weeds and editing out the things that didn't sound good and just putting it all together into this shiny product that we're able to put out there. Be proud to say that it's out there and that it's ours, that it's something that came from our 
came from our minds, our imagination. I consider myself very lucky to be a part of this. I was very glad to be there as long as I was at the beginning and, and to be here as a guest all those years afterwards. But man, four years, it, it really is hard to believe. Yeah, and I want to echo something that every co-host has said on this podcast, and then we'll we'll kind of move away because, you know, I do want to be a little jovial. We are jovial on this. I don't want this to be an hour and a half plus of us just being negative, but I do want to echo one important thing. We'll probably readdress this later as well, but I think one of the most powerful things this podcast has provided us is an avenue to expand and reinforce our friendships. Each one of the co-hosts I have a different relationship with. But as we've spread out across the United States and we've matured and we've kind of locked into our adult lives, you know, for some people, unfortunately, they would break away from these friendships where it's very easy to just text each other and not call each other, not contact each other. Whereas this has allowed me and Spencer, me and Alan, me and Travis, me and you to continually stay in communication, not only just because the podcast allowed us to be quote unquote characters, but these characters were a part of us. And the only way we could be those characters is if we communicated. And it wasn't just about keeping that schedule. It was like, hey, what are you reading? Hey, do you want to talk about this? The audience only sees the perfect, well, what I consider the perfect take of the podcast. That doesn't take into account you and I usually talking for sometimes an hour, two hours at least 15 minutes before every single podcast. And then sometimes we go on for 15, 20 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, two hours after the podcast because we just like talking about things and catching up. And who knows? I still think we would have been great friends even without it. But I think with every single one of the co-hosts, it has given us the ability to expand our friendship because it is, as I continue to say, an anchor in our lives. I think that's very well said. It did give us an opportunity to expand our friendship and that we developed a sort of intellectual bond that otherwise we might not have had had we not had something like this podcast set aside to specifically discuss books and ideas. Um, that's very rare these days, obviously. Yeah, because who has an actual conversation, like a loaded conversation about poetry? Who has a loaded conversation about essays? Name like two people other than who are paid within the field. Name two friends that have conversation about essays. And you might be able to count it, what, on one hand? Oh, exactly. No, that's absolutely true. Uh, who, who discusses serious books for leisure these days? Just as part of a casual conversation? Never. And now, I'm not saying it was common in the past, but you could still find, an, say, an averagely educated person uh, who was extremely well-read, who, had, uh, who could discuss Dickens and quote Shakespeare and so forth. Yeah, that's obviously long gone now, and that's why I think uh, things like this podcast are so special. It's just an opportunity to do that, to do that and more. I mean, we discussed... Other things besides the literary classics, obviously, but it was a blast. And just as a side note, you mentioned those conversations we had uh, after the podcast. Those alone, if you uh, gathered those and edited those, it would make for some fascinating content in themselves. <laughs> that, yes, they would. Off the cuff, uh, unfiltered. Like, I think that's one thing we should cover as well. 
is just like the evolution of yours and I's friendship, because that's something we covered in the other episodes as well. But I think it's fascinating for every single co-host. If you go back at how we began and for you and I, it's mostly the beginning because we had a literal first episode, whereas like Al and I didn't really have, hey, here's the first episode of Legion Soul Food Network. We just went into a review where you and I had an actual sit down hey, this is the process of the broken shelf. This is what we're planning on doing. We introduced ourselves. And I think it's just going to be fascinating in even 10 years from now to go back and listen to that episode and be like, oh my God, who are these people? Yeah, yeah. We'll be able to say, look, this is where we were at this point in our lives. It's the same thing. And I mentioned this in our last episode, what I do when I look at my bookshelf sometimes. And I look at uh, certain books I bought years ago. And I'm like, okay, what was it at that time in my life that led me to purchase this? Where was I? What store was it? What was I interested in reading at that time? This will be the same kind of thing when we look back at this podcast. It's, uh, it's capturing a moment in time. It's, it's almost developing, in a way, our own autobiography. It really is fascinating to think about. Yeah, and to an extent, it's also a time capsule because there's a lot of dreams held within this podcast, especially for me, as you said. like I was on every episode all 219 productions of the broken shell and that's not even counting the 10 plus episodes of movies that we did for legion soul food including all the other episodes that we didn't publish the practice episodes everything was me and i will not everything was me that's a little hyperbolic but i think you get the context of i was involved in everything some episodes were definitely just me that's it. I wrote them. I recorded them. I edited them. I posted them. And I'm proud of everything. And I'm proud of everything this podcast has given to me and my friends and my family. Yes, there were some failures involved, and we'll definitely talk about that in this episode. But I still think it's an important to acknowledge, especially for myself, the dreams and the potential held within this. Because to be completely honest, The boy, not the man, not even the adult, the boy who decided to start podcasting needed it. He had nothing. He hated his job. He probably was not a good friend to people because he was really depressed. Week to week, the podcast gave him an avenue to be better, to have a schedule, something outside of work that he had to complete, to be creative. And I truly believe that without the podcast, Without having that schedule every week, I would not be as happy as I am now. I would not be as a good individual as I am now. I would not be as intelligent as I perceive myself to be. And I would not have the dreams of writing and creating and being the person I know I have the potential to be. And that started with taking a chance and saying, I'm depressed. I need to do something. And fortunately, I didn't have to do that alone. It would not have happened or lasted as long if you guys were not around to help. And yes, again, to be a little selfish here, I did do most of the work. But in total whole, this gave me so much more. And you were an amazing part of that, especially at the beginning. I cannot thank you enough. Because you and I, we've fiddled and fumbled through a lot of those episodes at the beginning. And yet, they're some of my favorite just because... They are fiddling and fumbling. It's like, hey, we were giving it our all, even if it was kind of quote-unquote crappy. Oh, I know, because they were, they were completely unscripted early on. Part of the reason it was so much fun, even if it wasn't as smooth and polished as some of the later episodes were, I remember when we first started you talking about how you needed something that would give you purpose. Uh, something that you could sit down to every night and you came home from work and like, okay, this is what I have to do. 
I have a job to do here and I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it one to dedicate myself to something, but number two, to try and launch a, uh, a separate creative career. And that was your ambition of being a writer. And please, please, you have to promise me above all things when this is over after this podcast, please continue to pursue that. I have been editing. I've been writing like, and with Alan as well, like he is, Alan has really been a coach recently because he is like, dude, I know you can do it because I have written, fully written three books. Now it's just about editing them and getting them out there. And that's what I want. I don't care if it's on a, if it's a Kindle self-published book, my dream is by 35 to have a book published. I don't care about the quality, just to have it there to make five bucks off of it. That's the dream. And I can tell you at this time, I have only two episodes left to edit before this one. And I'm getting antsy because I can tell all of my energy is ready to shift into writing because I'm writing two books right now and editing one of my books. Like it feels so good. There are days where all I want to do is write and it's fantastic to feel that energy that was slipping from continually doing the podcast because that's one of the issues and maybe we should probably talk about that failure here. And then I do want to shift into our friendship and how it got there. But to illustrate like how I want to move into writing, the broken shelf didn't provide any passive income. That was what Alan and I had originally envisioned with the Legion Soul Food Network was we respect all these podcasters out there. We already talk 10 to 15 hours a week on our love for video games, movies, and all this. And I added reading and writing later, which became the broken shelf. But the whole point was, we both needed something else and we knew we couldn't just survive on our salaries at that point. Well, we can survive on our salaries, but obviously you want to heighten our lives, to be better, to do more, and to not necessarily be stuck in the nine to five. Now, we have both gone on and found jobs that we love, so that's changed a little bit. But yeah, we wanted passive income. We wanted to be creative. We wanted to make money off our creativity. And guess what? It didn't happen. And for some people to think like, you didn't make money for four years and you kept going? Yes, because I truly did need this in my life. I needed the broken shelf. But when you tell yourself in the fourth year saying, okay, it's done, you start to turn off certain avenues in your brain. And your brain starts pushing them, especially when I've learned how to access creative parts of my brain. And I wrote books and I'm like, I knew I wanted to be a writer. So like in March, I hated the broken shelf. I felt like it was stealing my soul. It took a long time to fix that. And these last few months have been fabulous as we've moved away from book reviews into just being more open and free form. And as Alan and I talked about, had any of us sat down and talked about how we could improve this, maybe we would have made money. But the whole point I want to say that I will write is that I knew when I announced the broken shelf was done to you guys was my creative process and all my energy moved so far away from it that it became so difficult. But all these other things that I wanted to do, I started getting better at. And maybe I won't be published at 35. That's the dream right now. But Alexander the Tsar, I'm telling you now as a mission, I will have a published book. I do not believe for myself personally, I will succeed in life if I do not have a book published. Even just one, I will feel like a failure. So I'm telling you now, it's going to happen. You know, you can't announce like, hey, you know, I think I'm going to die here then. You know, you can't predict, but I'm going to. I am going to write and have a book published. You will. And yeah, none of us have any doubt that you're capable and that you're going to get it done. No, you're going to get there. and. 
I'm touched by your resolve to uh, go through with this creative project. I really am because I couldn't do it. I don't have the determination. And yet I truly believe you have a gift and I fucking want you to write because I know with all the potential that I have, your potential is so far greater than mine. And I just, I want you to write, you son of a bitch, because I feel like it's sitting in your soul. So hopefully when you're crotchety and 65, you're going to be like, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to be like, it's about fucking time. I've been waiting my life for this. I'm going to write the long-awaited sequel to uh, A Farewell to Arms. <laughs> right now. Um, no, what I... A Farewell to My Cock. A fa- <laughs> at 65, yeah, I would imagine. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have the courage. I don't have the determination to sit down and do it. And by courage, I mean uh, sacrificing my time and risking and possibly setting aside a career to write something that I think would be worthwhile. Hey, I've I've written three books and worked and did the podcast. You can do it, dude. I don't know how you do it. That requires a tireless dedication and a level of energy and commitment that, frankly, if, if, if I don't have, to the extent that I do have it, I put it into other things. And, you know, I wish, sometimes I wish I weren't oriented that way. Sometimes I wish I would take more risks and just pursue my creative dreams. Yeah, I love you, and I wish you would go into the same store twice in one day. You should start there. <laughs> you should go into the same gas station twice in one day. Get over that fear. Oh, oh, I uh, I did recently. It was uh, at the coffee shop that I live closest to. I went through the same drive-thru twice in one day. That doesn't count. You have to go in and order from the same person at the desk. It's even worse because I go there frequently enough that they recognize me. So, yeah, I had to, oh, I had they... to wear a half a second. <laughs> yeah, that gives you anxiety. See, I love that because I want them to, like, know my order so I don't even have to talk to them. That's the best part. You walk in, you want your usual, yes, fucking please. <laughs> you're like Norm from Cheers. You know, you come in, you're the regular. They slide you your mug at the end of the bar. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's that's the dream, man. That's the dream. But yeah, I do. I truly do believe eventually you will get over that. I really do believe as the person in my life whom I believe in the same sector that I am is the most intelligent because Alan is probably the most gifted with engineering qualities. And I think Spencer is probably one of the nicest and best human beings on earth. But you do. Your level of knowledge in so many facets impresses the shit out of me. And I truly do believe that one day you are going to wake up and say, I am ready. And I'm waiting for that day, man. I am waiting for that day. Well, I appreciate that, good sir. I would say this. If I became a writer at all, I don't think I could write what they used to call imaginative literature. That is fiction, poetry, drama. I think I would have to be a critic of some sort. I think I have a more analytical mind than a creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I easily think you could do that. I also think you could do a short story collection as well. I feel like the way you pursue things... I think you're a little too rational in certain things and you're more of a person who just enjoys the atmosphere of a story rather than like trying to come up with it yourself because that's the opposite of me is I got so sick of movies and books doing the same stuff over and over again and I'm I'm guilty of using tropes but like I finally got to the point where I was like I want to write my own story. I have all these ideas I'm sick and tired of seeing other people's ideas and in some circumstances it failed me like those ideas failed me like with these Marvel movies and all that it's like that's not how you should be telling the story and I said well 
you know what? Why don't I tell it my way? And that's what got me there. I think you are going to have the same epiphany, even if it's just, you know, a book of 12 short stories where you get to do almost like Dubliners, where you get to have the two people sitting down and talking or the one story in, um, not Lord, is it Lord's Weir's Castle where the two boys are talking about Dovtoyevsky characters while they're sitting on the bench? Oh yeah, no, that was, um, that was in the- Angel Esmeralda. Yeah, yeah, it was called, uh, what was it? I can't remember the name of the story. I think it was Dostoevsky at Midnight or something. Yeah, so I think you would be capable of doing something like that. I would love that, yeah. Oh God, I'd love to uh, publish a good short story that people would read and would be accepted by, by some publication. I'm interested in what you said about how I have um, too much of a rational mind. I think it's a very good point because I think to write compelling fiction, you have to have a little a sense of the irrational because uh, human beings are flawed. They don't always have clear motives. And to portray that in fiction, you have to get inside their head a little bit. And it's not always a rational train of thought. I think uh, I'm speaking generally here. Of course, there are exceptions. but Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking like there's a book published every second. There's millions of ways to do it. The critical analytical mind tends to think in a, in a somewhat orderly fashion. And um, yeah, when, when you're creating, like I said, when you're creating fictional characters, that doesn't always work. And it's difficult. That's why, like, my first few stories, one of my favorite ones, where Tommy Orion is literally based on you, and you came up with the name, and the first three chapters were the easiest to write because it was literally just me writing you and me. I think if you started there, like, even if you wrote a story about some of our wild college stories that we should share here, they helped me. You have to start somewhere. I truly do believe you have the potential and you're capable of doing it because yeah, like you said, if you wanted to be a critical individual and write criticism, I truly do believe it's there because you just love this stuff too much to not leave your stamp out there somewhere. And I don't think the broken shelf is enough. I think there will come a time in your adult life where you're like, okay, it's time. And if I don't, at the very least, I could uh, sell all my books to some um, secondhand bookstore, some uh, private library somewhere and... Uh make something off of it and become mildly famous among a very small group of book lovers and uh, publishers or whatnot. It is something I've wanted to do for a while. Is it going to happen? Who knows? Maybe. And maybe you're right. Maybe I should just always hang on to that. Hang on to that thought and not quite forget it. But, you know, this podcast has... It's helped me think more critically about the books that I read. And just, like I said, just talking about it to someone is is fantastic putting my thoughts into words i honestly think and maybe i'm really going out on a limb here this might be a stretch i honestly think talking to you all these hours thinking about expressing ideas from these various books you know whether they be uh, a novel a short story a poem a memoir a biography a, uh, a historical study expressing these uh thoughts feelings i have about a book into cogent thoughts in clear, precise language, I honestly think it's helped me with job interviews and helped me uh, communicate more clearly in in my professional life. I really think that. Before we did this podcast at work, in public, I was shy, reclusive, and awkward. And I'm still very shy now, but I have a lot more confidence and I speak a lot more confidently now. It was me. I had to bring you out of your shell. (laughs) I think so. I honestly think all these hours talking to you Talking often about very complicated uh, things, 
doing uh, uh, serious literary analysis, um, you know, going into deep interpretations about history and philosophy, thinking about how to express that in clear, precise language, I really think it's helped me gain confidence in speaking in, in my, my public life. I don't want to talk like I'm famous, but in my life out in public, right, at work, you know, with my superiors, with my colleagues, so forth. I really think it's helped me. And I think it's helped all of us. I mean, one of the big things between Alan and I in our reflection episode was he grew confident in how to say what was on his actual mind because he hated confrontation and the podcast helped him there. And it was the same thing with Spangar. Like, I believe it has helped all of us with not necessarily perfecting our speech skills, but being willing to throw out ideas into this space and perhaps being right, perhaps being wrong, but having a cohesive argument with each other. And as you said, expanding on ideas that are not necessarily easy to comprehend. What is the purpose of poetry, of an essay, of a short story, especially in an age right now where the only thing important to people is their next TikTok video? Where has the art gone that you and I love? And to talk about these ideas is difficult at some point because we don't have all the answers and we never will have all the answers. But with a friend and a colleague and taking the chance to whether or not there are a lot of people that listen to these episodes just to take the chance to edit a podcast and put it out there about these ideas. It may spark conversation, but if nothing else, down the line for you and I, we will say, huh, we had this exact conversation with somebody else on this podcast, and we will have those ideas and how to articulate them in a very powerful manner, and that's thanks to this podcast. And I totally agree with you. It has helped me as well communicate and articulate at work and beyond my professional sphere. Not only do I agree, I'm just thinking right now that when we begin this podcast, the end of 2017, I don't think TikTok even existed, did it? It did not. No, it did it not. It did not. Oh, my God. You know, and just think how our side distractions, our technological distractions, specifically in social media, think how much shallower they've even gotten in that time. I mean, come on. It was the YouTube when we were in high school and early college, and then that denigrated into Twitter and that denigrated into now TikTok. It's like shorter and shorter tidbits. That's what we're heading toward. I mean, pretty soon it really will be the a world out of the movie Idiocracy where everyone just goes to a movie theater and watches a movie called Ass, about two hours of a farting ass on the screen. We're going to get there soon. In two years' time, Daniel, people won't have the bandwidth to uh, pay attention to a 30-second TikTok video. And we're telling them what? That it's a good idea to read Tolstoy, 800 pages of Anna Karenina, which I still haven't done, by the way. I'm I was about to say that was your challenge for this year and you failed, fucker. There's still time. There's still time. Uh, I think it's funny you bring that up because one thing I do want to talk about because we've the last time we talked about it was our first episode and then our Proust questionnaire and that's our friendship. How we started, how we've got here. And I think it's important if we're going to come to an end, we talk about where we started. How you and I both came out of our shells I really, truly believe that without this pod, maybe not without this podcast, I think you and I would have been great friends without it, but I think we are better friends because of it. From my perspective, I was a rude asshole who wouldn't shut his mouth, but I think I was drawn to you in high school because of your high level of intelligence. And even though you were quiet and I probably annoyed the shit out of you, I guarantee I annoyed the shit out of you. I don't think you would have continued to be friends with me if I didn't 
tickle your intelligent levels and you wanted to speak with me as well. Is that the same perspective that you have? I mean, I guarantee I was an arrogant, loud asshole. I know that as I came into the room calling you a certain name very obnoxiously. That we will not not mention here, but uh, correct. But yeah, uh, high school was a weird time, but I mean, that that's where it started. It was a weird time. You were not, um, no, you were not an arrogant asshole. You were loud though. I still am. <laughs> it was a perfect foil for me. Cause I was, I was, uh, I was obnoxious in another way. I was obnoxiously quiet. It's weird that I would not leave you alone, but I wanted to talk to you because your ideas and the way you said things, it was too interesting not to talk to you. And I think that's. That's why I gravitated toward you is because you struck me as someone who was genuinely curious. You weren't interested so much in the mainstream. You were you had other interests outside your social life and outside of um, the sports you were in at the time. You were someone who was interested in books. I mean, you were reading Dostoevsky in high school, I remember. Above all, you were genuinely curious, and that included being curious about someone like me, who was not a total loner then, but a bit of an outcast, um, partly by choice, of course, but... Yeah, you were curious and and you were you were always friendly. You were never rude, you never you never pressured me. But yeah, you were persistent and that's and that's <laughs> kind of how our friendship formed. Junior year of high school and we became really close friends in college. Yeah, when you I think both of us came into different sectors cuz I love that you mentioned sports because I think if anyone were to know the high school version of me, very dedicated to my girlfriend, captain of my hockey team who won state championships. I could go to any circle. Was it a little fake? Yeah, it's high school. But then enter college. You and I roomed together for three years, different times, the first two years and then our senior year, uh, which is amazing considering we stayed friends and we're still friends. I mean, when you think about it, but I think it was you grew out of your sheltered shell and I receded from being the fake one. I didn't like standing out. I hated it. I felt like, and this is something we talked about before the podcast, like the social obligations I thought I had to fulfill when in reality, I'm an introvert. I'm an extroverted introvert. If you get me to a party, I'll be the life of the party, but you have to get me to the party first. I'm a person who would rather stay home, watch Netflix and read. You, on the other hand, have gone to quaint little bookstores, which means you've had to get out of your house and drive. You've gone hiking. You wanted to get out and buy a kayak. Like you are getting out of your house. And yes, you're, you, you and I are kind of similar where we're extroverted introverts, but in different spheres. And I think college helped unlock that to us where we came to see eye to eye with each other. And part of that was, of course, me seeing so many of your drunken escapades. Before I become a writer, I think that's the next thing I'm, I'm working on. I'm working on quelling my... Uh, I was never an alcoholic. What I was is I was a lush. Well, I, I think, I think to an extent... <laughs> oh my God, some of the stuff. I was introduced to alcohol at an early age, as I think you were as well. But for me, it was never like my mom was always like, if you get drunk, please call me. And I did that a couple of times. So like when I got to college, partying was never my thing. Again, like I wanted to stay away from people. That's when I fell in love with anime. I didn't have to go out. Whereas you, I think in my personal opinion, again, you can correct me, but this is just from my perspective seeing you, is you had a little bit more freedom. You could be a little bit more adult and now you never overindulged except for like a couple times, but it's college again. But I think it was nice for you to get that freedom and it unlocked some of the spheres I think you had on lockdown 
in high school, especially, and I love your family, but you're Rockwellians, like you got out of that quote unquote oppression and you got to live a little. I just think it made you a better person or hopefully a more happy one. It's a time. Oh yeah. yeah, No, it's a, it was something I needed. Yeah. What I needed to break out of my shell and you know, they call alcohol a social lubricant for a reason. And that certainly helped. And I had many pleasurable experiences with it. That being said, the further I got into my 20s, the less pleasurable it was and the more damage it's done. Um, And so that's why I've gradually drawn back um, as I've gotten later into my 20s. And now that I'm uh, just over a month away from turning 30, I've um, pretty much extirpated it from my life. This past fall has been has been very successful and sobering up, for lack of a better word. I, I don't use it as a um, coping mechanism anymore. I can still live a fun and completely enjoyable life and not feel like I have to um, drink to relieve social pressure or drink to have fun. It's actually been a, a huge weight off my back, honestly, this past, these past few months have. I think it's amazing, too. We roomed together freshman and sophomore, and we grew and grew and grew, and then we roomed together senior year and then super senior year. And just the changes between freshman and sophomore and then senior and super senior and unlocking the books and living together. And I'm sure there's some times when both of us were ready to annihilate each other. But man, just if there's one thing I miss about not living near you it's dude we knew how to just go to a bar not like get wasted but we just knew how to enjoy watching sporting events together with just a couple beers sitting back and enjoying it and we could do that in the apartment we could go to a bar we always had our tradition of as stupid as it was going every thursday for the draft that would be our thing for the nfl draft we would go wait for the number one pick even when we lived apart, you and Lansing, me and Grand Rapids, we would go to games together, Michigan State games, Griffins games. We would try to get together at least once every other month. And then, of course, the podcasting helped with that as well because you would come over and we would podcast together. I think one of my favorite times was because you, quote unquote, lived with us in the house in Grand Rapids, but not really, even though we were doing the podcasting. But one of my favorite moments from college was when we threw your couch out the third story and got Miller High Life and just sat on that couch in a beautiful Michigan day. It was incredible. There's nothing more redneck than that. A couch with its uh, with its legs off on the lawn, thrown over a balcony, sitting there with our arms back, drinking a fucking Miller High Life. Oh my God, it, <laughs> it was, was classic. And I w- have we ever been happier? Seriously. Oh, uh, not really. Dude, it was, there's some great memories from back then. We have, you and I have so many fond memories of that crazy, this is actually related to the podcast. We've told this story before, but Schuler's was closing and we wanted to get some books and a few of those books we've reviewed on this channel. But man, we were going through that snowstorm and that dude pulled into the left lane and me just, he's clearly not in the lane because you couldn't see the lanes, but I was definitely in the correct lane. And this dude just driving at me, he's clearly not in the lane. We have so many fun memories of college and before and the podcast is just added to those. But I think that story is a part of us is the two individuals who in high school seem to be on opposite sides. And then with college, they grew closer and closer as they realized that they were similar. Now, obviously, I'm still the loudmouth one and you're still the slightly more quiet one. 
And I still enjoy drawing you out and being persistent because I respect you so much. And again, it comes back to, man, you are one of the smartest individuals I know. And I don't think my life would be as good or as fulfilled without you here to challenge me or to just text me something stupid every now and then or the movie quote battles that we have. I'm so thankful that our journey has led to this place and I guarantee it's going to go beyond this because I refuse to just unless something serious happens, which I'm not going to let it. But dude, like my life is better with you in it. And again, the podcast helped enhance that. Oh, it absolutely did, and I, I appreciate all that. That really does bring a lot of warmth to my heart. And yeah, I, I'm so glad I have you in my life, too, uh, as uh, someone who's always been there, someone who's always been consistently loyal, and that's that's a very rare thing uh, to find. You know, as we go through our lives, you're going to shed friendships for various reasons, and some of it's due to you might be losing touch with this person, you might... Uh, you might find you have less and less in common over time. You might find that um, they're a little bit of a backstabber and uh, prone to commit acts of betrayal. That's never been you. You've always been consistently loyal and been there. And like you said, our bond has been strengthened through our love of books and um, through our time together on this podcast. It's just been, it's been unbelievable. Yeah, I, I couldn't be luckier to have something like this. It's such an unusual thing to have. It is, yeah. Especially, again, in now an age, like, you're my book buddy. Who has a book buddy? I mean, I know, like, the traditional sexist stereotype is women have their book clubs and their scandalous smut that they read. But, like, okay, let's take that into context. I mean, we did that hilarious episode, Size Matters. But, again, let's ask that question. How many guys do you know that have, quote-unquote, a book buddy? Very few. Very few. You're right. Very few. I have to think back to the days of uh, early 1920s Paris when supposedly Ernest Hemingway and James Joyce were famous on going on quote-unquote beer runs together. After the cafe, they went on beer runs and uh, talked about God knows what. Sex, of course. Um, the size of their penises. The size of their penises. Uh, their chest hair. I'm sure their chest hair. I'm sure there were some... That's a man. That's what a man looks like. And the funny thing about this, that is Hemingway actually had that particular conversation with his editor, challenging him. Is there enough hair on there for you? And then they got in a wrestling match in his office. Anyway, um, but yeah, you have D&D buddies. Okay. Um, what else? Your, your football buddies, your sports buddies, your drinking buddies. You go to a movie with a few buddies. Yeah, hunting buddies. But yeah, someone who you can just talk for for hours on end about books with. And, uh, and no, and like you said, not not smut novels, all right? Real, real books, books of substance with actual ideas in them. Yeah, it's so rare. I bet you if we were to find something comparable, I can almost guarantee those people would be over over the age of like 65 and or like contained to a library and they don't really have friends outside the library that they would talk about it like you know i have people at work i talk about books about but it's not on like a regular basis it's oh yeah yeah i've read that before or something like that it's never like fused with passion or anything like that oh yeah i read game of thrones after i watched the tv show well great what else have you read that you didn't get influenced by mass media uh, nothing? Exactly, so please stop. I just watched the first episode of Game of Thrones for the first time uh, not long ago, actually. I don't know if I'm going to go down that rabbit hole or not, but um, that's another distraction, too, I think, that is worth spending a couple minutes talking about is the long-form TV show. 
that kind of got kicked off with with Sopranos in 1999 and it's gone, you know. After that, you had Breaking Bad, you had um, Game of Thrones, of course, Boardwalk Empire. You could go down the list. It's so it's so many. And I have to admit, they're kind of wonderful. All right, there's something about it, but it's not quite the same, is it? It's still not the same. It requires more focus and more attention than TikTok or Twitter, yes. But it's it still doesn't rise to the level of, of literature. It's a distraction of a sort, but it, it is kind of a lovely one. And yes, it's one that I that I joyfully indulge in. Yeah, and I think you you know me very well, like anime. That's my thing. It's shorter than those because they're only like half hour. Some are movies. But even then, most of the anime that I watch has a source material, which would be the manga or the actual light novel. And when you consume the manga and the light novel, it's very rare you're going to say, yeah, the anime is better. And it's because you're missing the internal dialogue, the prose, the full exposition of the world and how the characters evolve. Visual media is technically weaker in most instances than the written media. And as much as I love TV, movies, and all that, like, the reason I originally fell in love with books once I gave them a chance was it gave me so many things that were missing because I did have to sit down and take longer. And I think people are missing that. They're so caught up in FOMO, the fear of missing out, that really what they need to do is breathe get away from the dopamine high, read something difficult and settle down and let your brain reset. And a book can do that in such a magnificent way where you have to create how the characters visually look. I don't care if the words are there. You're still going to picture the character in your mind and that's unique to you. Reading and the incredible massive amount of genres and pieces of literature available it's incomprehensible sometimes what's out there, and yet people are stuck with the level of easy access of these television shows where even to an extent lately, I've been watching a little bit less anime and movie. Like I can't remember the last time I actually watched a movie or even a TV show because I've been reading so much more and doing a ton of editing and writing. But in my recreational activity, it's like a book and nothing else. I love that. I, I really do. And I can't remember exactly who wrote it, it um, but th- there was a, a theory back in the mid-20th century that uh, the people, and this was, you know, mind you, this is like 60 years ago, even this was still a phenomenon. This is when television was, was the big thing, right? That people who consumed mass culture, shallow mass culture, didn't actually really enjoy it. They actually uh, hated it and hated themselves for consuming it. It wasn't even for entertainment purposes, since that uh, implied it took some, at least some type of effort. There was another element to that argument I can't quite remember, but that was one point the argument made. The only problem I have with that is when you look at sales and ratings of certain shows compared to others. If you look at sales of, say, um, I'll throw something out there, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey compared to, how about... um, Game of Thrones. Fifty Shades of Grey has sold more copies than Game of Thrones. Or, or like, yeah, look at Fifty Shades of Grey to a, a classic novel or a, a piece of contemporary fiction that's serious and worthwhile. It's how many million to how many tens of thousands. That's the scale we're talking there. That somewhat defeats the argument. I think people, do they genuinely love the shallow mass culture? 
I don't know, but it's much easier. It's FOMO. It's the fear of missing out. So maybe they do love part of it. I don't know. And like I said, I'm not saying I'm all above this. No, I indulge in some of it. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I indulge too. Don't worry. But we're cognizant of the concept. It's it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. We know uh, we know at least what we're supposed to like, right? We know what high culture is. We have taste when we have developed it. Oh, there was another one. I, I read this recently um, about how the most famous movement from uh, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, I think it was, Fifth of the Ninth, I can't remember, and it was done by a Berlin Symphony Orchestra uh, many decades ago. It has... I think it was several, like 800,000 uh, views on, on YouTube. Yet the, the most recent song by Olivia, what's her name? Pop singer, um, Olivia Rodrigo. You're asking the wrong person about music. Uh, she, yeah, well, she's a pop singer. She's maybe 20 years old. The most recent one by her that came out earlier this year already has 80 million. All right, so 20-year-old teen pop sensation, 80 million views. Something like 800,000 for uh, the most famous rendition of Beethoven's most famous symphony. What does it mean? I don't know. Maybe it means that high culture has always been a, a somewhat specialized thing that really very few people appreciate. But at least there was, I will say this though, at least there was a time when we knew that that's what we should aspire to. I, I kind of think that time's gone now, So, which th it makes things like this all the more um, special, I think. Because we dedicated a podcast to try and appreciating some of those things. We, we did a little bit of the lighter side, too. Like I said, we did the romance novel. and Which was a hilarious episode. I had a blast. In the greater context of that, you have to understand, like, like we have people aiming to get, like, one famous TikTok video and they're settled for life. We, out of our 219 episodes, took a chance and said, hey, we're going to try something different. We still have to plan next week, but this week, we're doing this Valentine's Day crazy thing. And it worked, and it was great, and it was fun. It was one thing that we had planned in the greater spectrum. These singers do work hard. I don't want to take the work away from them. No, I don't either. But we're, we are so, cons not we, not you and I, but the greater populace is so concerned with the lightning in the bottle rather than a great body of work. And it's just the click culture that we have right now, unfortunately, the eight second or however long a stupid TikTok video is. And it's unfortunate because I do believe so many of these workers and there are a lot of great workers out there who are working hard as well. But it's just unfortunate that the, the culture we live in, we're the lightning in a bottle culture and it, it sucks. We must resist against it, my friend. Oh, yeah, we tried with this podcast. I mean, we tried to do something different. Okay, speaking of the podcast, now before we get too much farther, because at this moment we've been going on an hour and I'm sure we'll probably go on at least 45 more minutes because I've got a few more questions. But what I want to do before we get out of here, we have to do what we do every year. We have to talk statistics, especially because this is the final episode. So ladies and gentlemen, these are the final episode counts for who was on each episode. The year four totals. I had 32 solo episodes. I had four Alan episodes, four Spangar episodes, five Alexander the Czar episodes, six Travis episodes, and two Mama Archive episodes. What I love about this is this is something I've mentioned in the past three episodes and a few times before. So year one, you were the man who put in the most work. Year two, Alan put in the most work. Year three, Spangar put in the most work, and year four, Travis put in the most work. So it was 
amazing to see that each year someone else stepped up and helped me. And I think that added a great variety because usually that person hadn't been on as much as they were the year before. So like Alan stepping up in the year two, he got to talk more while Spanger hadn't been on as much. So then when he got to be on more in year three, that's when you and Alan were like at your peak because you had both been on so many episodes. You knew exactly how to act. You knew exactly how to review. And then when Travis was on the most, Spangar had a chance to be the best version of him. So because you did so many episodes, you did 18 episodes in that first year, which is almost half. It's just amazing that because you did so many, you knew how to act. And then from there, it was just your personality and the traits you decided to present got better each year. So I just love that each year, one of the co-hosts was on more than the others and someone stepped up. So I just like that fact. That is awesome. I mean, how amazing that it worked out like that too, that each year had a different guest that was the most, uh, that was most frequently on the podcast. That is, that is, that is amazing. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Okay. So now that I've done the year four totals, what I did is I didn't do this before, but I have calculated, which wasn't hard thanks to uh, Google spreadsheet. So I have calculated the total number of each co-hosts episodes. So I'm running a little bit of math here. Just a second. Mama Archive was on five total episodes. I'm going to go from the least to the most. So Mama was on five episodes total. Travis did 14. Spangar did 29. Czar, you come in third at 36 episodes done total. Alan did 38. And I did. Do you want to take a guess of how many solo episodes I did? 26. You are way off, my dude. 56. 90 five solo episodes oh yeah 43 percent of our episode total was me so i'm very proud of that fact a lot as you should be (laughs) the labor that went into that i can't even imagine yeah so 219 total episodes i think it's a good spread i mean especially for uh the other people like the people that were on it the most you alan and spangar the core trio that helped me Like you all had about the same. You roughly had about 31 episodes each, which I think is a a very good, like you averaged out very, very well. And again, like as the years went on, we all got better. Mama and Travis started to help at the end. Uh, Travis again with 14, which is phenomenal. And even getting my mom on for five episodes. So she's getting up there in age. And so I'll always be proud that I have that. I have her voice. If I ever do have grandchildren or, you know, I, if I'm just feeling negative or drunk one day and I can go back and listen to it, it's just, it's something that I have. So any other thoughts on those count totals before we get into the rating totals? No, no, not at all. Let's, yeah, let's get into the ratings. I'm curious about this because I think I was, um, in the few ratings that I did, I was on the more optimistic end and you were probably on a little bit on the harsher end. And that wasn't one of the experiments I wanted to see. Now, what I should have done is gone through and seen like how each of you actually rated. Now, I didn't do that. I probably should have done that. But this is the year four totals for each of the ratings. Broken shelf, six. Bottom shelf, Six. Middle shelf, 19. Top shelf, 14. Dust collector, one. And episodes without any rating, 14. So basically 14 general episodes, including these ones at the end. There you go. Those are the year four totals. 
I'm sorry. I missed the part. Okay. T uh, b fireside sex. Was that mentioned? None. That? None. We had none. We had none. We had a nope. called Fireside Sex and we didn't even use it. Originally, episode 200 was supposed to be my favorite book with Spangar. Had we done that, there's no doubt that would have been the one and only Fireside Sex. I was close on occasion. For instance, the um, Why Can't They Write book. I was very close to giving that a Fireside Sex. Uh, you and I and you and Spangar, I recorded this twice. The Phil Collins biography review. I did practice with you and a practice with him. If I would have reviewed that for the actual Broken Shelf, that would have been a fireside sex as well because it's my favorite nonfiction book of all time. We didn't have any Burnets either, although we had one very close one, the Woodrow Wilson. We had neither of the ultimate extremes. But you couldn't burn the Wilson one. You needed a mouse pad. <laughs> That story will never get old. That's the only reason I haven't taken that book back is because it has the memory of being the mouse pad. Because I've returned some books over the last few months and I can't do it to it. I might read it again eventually just to make fun of it or just to like, okay, it's been about 10 years. Let me read this and then listen to our review. Okay, are you ready for the grand total of each rating? Let's hear it. Okay, now I, I need to be clear here that most people were in the middle shelf, but in the first two years, we did not have middle shelf. We had like high bottom, high top. So we didn't really have a middle shelf until the third year and we fixed that. So the numbers for middle shelf are going to be a little skewed because the way I counted it, if it was like high bottom, I still counted that as a bottom shelf. So there are less middle shelves than you think, but I think there technically should be, as this is more of a bell curve than anything else, there probably should be a lot more middle shelf counts. But just take that into consideration when I tell you these totals. Total number of non-rated episodes, 56. So about 56 general episodes. This was also include the one supersonic synopsis we did. The introduction to Spencer episode that you and I did with him, that was technically not in the canon. And then this also includes each a year in review. So like our first year anniversary, second year anniversary, so on and so forth, as well as the Harry Potter reviews that me and Alan did. So that all goes into what I call the NA, the non-applicable rating category. Dust Collector, 11. This is an interesting stat right here is the first year, five dust collectors, second year, three, year three, two, and then year four, one. So I got less critical, even though I think I just tried to bitch less. I tried to be more middle of the road and articulate my points better instead of wanting to burn every single book that I didn't like. But um, the only dust collector that was not given out by me was by Spangar. No one else has ever touched dust collector except for me. Bottom shelf, 44 bottom shelf books. And that is also the same case as dust collector. So there were 17 in the beginning and only six this year. So the spectrum has kind of shifted towards the positive. And I will say that's because I read books I really wanted to read this year because like I said, I was getting a little bit tired of the broken shelf as a whole so i needed to make sure like the books i rated i really liked in order to keep continuing middle shelf 32 so like i said year 3 13 year 4 19 it's really hard to gauge exactly how many middle shelves we should really have top shelf 73 and this is so skewed because none of you assholes had the guts read or review anything below a top shelf or a middle shelf. I think you gave one book a bottom shelf. Would that happen to be the Sheltering Sky? 
I think it was too, yeah. We would not have had middle shelf at that point, but do you think you would give it a middle shelf or do you still think you would give it a bottom? I'd probably give it a middle at this point, but um, that's an interesting conversation to have in itself. The willingness to read bad books. Yeah, because none of you guys did it. It was only me. Part of me um, feels like I don't want to uh, uh, paint my uh, all the good books around me and that, you know, Life is so finite, we have to um, dedicate it to reading the what Matthew Arnold uh, called the best that has been thought and said. But then another part of me is like, okay, how do you know what is the best that has been thought and said if you can't compare it to what is shit? Exactly. And I think... um like one of the stories and Alan and I talk about this, he had this like time traveler. I can't remember what the actual title of the books are, but these were some of his first reviews and he just refused to be negative, even though the entire review is him crapping on it. And now I have been called many things by Spangar and Alan, how I will go on for two hours about how something is great and then I'll give it a bottom shelf and then I'll go on a tirade and at the end I'll give it a top shelf. So, and I'm not saying they're, they're wrong, but none of you guys, I think Travis gave one bottom shelf and that was the last book we reviewed. I, Spangar gave one desk collector and maybe one bottom shelf. I don't think Stuart sniffed the bottom shelf. As you said, I think Sheltering Sky was the only one. So it's so heavily skewed to top shelf because none of you guys were willing or had the balls to give something a bad rating or read a bad book. Yeah. I've thought about that a lot over the years, and part of me hates to say it, but at this point, I think I've become even more uh, more determined to keep bad books out of uh, out of my library. So, or what I perceive to be bad books. Of course, you never really know until you read them. But yeah, now I will say, like, what I'm like, all right, this book might not be too great. I've bought them digitally now, unless I know something. It's probably going to be fabulous. I don't buy a physical copy of it anymore because I'm trying to get down to two bookshelves instead of three. Yeah, it's just kind of like, ugh. And finally, broken shelf. 22 broken shelves. Now, this is an interesting one, too. So we had eight in year one, three in year two, five in year three, and six in year four. Oh, and another concept for this whole thing, if there was a book that we reviewed together, I did take into account each rating. So technically, we could have had like three broken shelves in year four, but both of us gave it a broken shelf. So that would equal double to six. But it doesn't matter. Like the total number of ratings that the broken shelf earned was 22, which is, I'd say, fair considering it was legitimately like our top rating. So I think it's good that we didn't, we had half as many dust collectors as we did broken shelf which is the antithesis of each other and we didn't have either of the the maximums that we had so i think 22 is a pretty good total of broken shelves what do you think about that yeah out of um i mean out of 219 episodes of course and not all episodes are we reviewing a book but still i think that's fair that's about you know approximately 10 percent it's like you know back in the day only 10 percent of um of students got a's that just means we have high standards absolutely and i i guarantee a lot of those broken shelves were me i think spencer gave out a few alan gave out a few i think you gave out only one and i cannot remember which book you gave out a broken shelf to i could go look it up right now oh this is hard because i'd have to remember because i don't want to go look through this list sorry like that's kind of a boring episode for the people so i don't really want to do that but yeah, I, I agree with you. It's about 10%, and I think it's it fairly articulates our podcast very well, that we do have standards, and it's not like it's good or it's bad. It's not a thumbs up or thumbs down, Netflix. We have a scale. We stuck to the scale, 
And yeah, we added middle shelf, but I think we should have had that at the beginning. And we evolved. And even as we got more critical, we still managed to, I think, put out a fabulous product. And 22 broken shelves is a good thing, I think, at that 10% mark. I do too. It meant that um, we were thinking critically and weren't afraid to pass the occasional harsh judgment. Okay, so those are the statistics, and I needed to make sure we got that out here. Uh, So now what I want to do is I want to shift into more melancholy, serious stuff. We've shared a lot of great stories already. Started off kind of sad and and a little bit dapper as well. Uh, And then we had some fun talking about college and some stories. But uh, And maybe we'll get some great stories in this section as well. But what I really want to do is I want to talk to you, Alexander Zar, about what the Broken Shelf as a product and for you what it meant. So I want to give you the floor here to express as much as you want with as much emotion as you want what the broken shelf meant to you, especially like you could start at the beginning of me bringing the idea to you, whether or not it was hard after the first 14 episodes to kind of pull away and then reflect on the journey of four years as a whole, which I understand is hard, but please enlighten us. Well... Above all, what this podcast did is it kept me connected with you. And I think the reading aside, and the reading's important, you know, it's, it's been a big part of my life for a long time now. It, it's made me um, uh, think about the books I and just think about books in general more seriously. That's great. But that's secondary compared to just keeping me in touch with you, especially considering I haven't physically seen you in over three years now. I know, that's amazing. This this podcast has, has um, it's been an important link that's helped maintain our um, our connection. It has. I mean, we yeah, we have our friendship, of course, but this is, as you said before, it's helped enhance it. As far as the book aspect goes, I really think it's um, expanded my range of reading. You know, like I said, when this first started, I was still reading mostly fiction. You know, most of the books I own are still fiction. Yeah, I I would say the majority are are still mostly either uh, uh, novels or or short stories. But then I went through a poetry phase. You remember, that was probably, I don't know, the middle of this podcast, years two, and I, I would say year two especially. And then the last year, maybe two, it's been predominantly nonfiction. It's been essays and biography and memoir. I know the very first book we reviewed was a memoir, but it's interesting how the attention of my reading has shifted over that time and uh, shifted and expanded. You know, of course, I still read fiction now, but I have I have other interests now. And I, I think my library reflects that. I have a nonfiction section. I have uh, I have a poet's corner. It's in my laundry room. My my stack of poetry is because I don't have any room for it anywhere else. And then I have a massive shelf of, of fiction. I think this podcast has helped with that. Just talking with you, it helps re-spark my interest in reading narrative history. Listening to you talk about uh, Gustavus Adolphus. What was the other one? Oh, well, and even George Kennan and about, George Kennan's book about the rise of uh, the European powers at the, uh, at the end of the 19th century. It made me want to go back and read some of the great historians, too. And by go back, shit, I mean, some of them I'm reading for the very first time. You know, I, I joke about, um, well, no, n- n- it's not so much a joke when I'm talking about reading the long novels of Tolstoy. Yes, I do want to read War and Peace and Anna Karenina someday, don't get me wrong. That is a real ambition. But I kind of joke with you about Edward Gibbon and reading the six volumes of Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. 
All right, Richard Gilmore. Richard, yes. Richard Gilmore said he'd been on Volume 1. No, no, no. He said he started Volume 1 in 1968 and it took him over 30 years to finish. I think we should talk about that, how sappy we are that both you and I have seen Gilmore Girls. Like, the entire thing. That part of our friendship is freaking hilarious. That's, that's, yeah. That's, um, yeah, not many, not many, uh, not many dudes can say that. Anyway. Um, I've seen it more than once the entire way through. I watched it with mom. I think I've seen it twice all the way through, yeah. I, I think I've seen it three times because I watched it with my high school girlfriend. That's when I was introduced to it. I watched it in college while you were watching it. And then I watched it with mom because she had never seen it. And that was like last year. I rewatched it with saw, her. We both saw the revival too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But hey, you know what? I'm not saying I'm going to do it necessarily, but I have read some of the old historians, some of the 19th century ones. Gibbon was even before that. I love those old historians because they really did see history as telling a story. So reading their books sometimes is like reading a great novel. It's kind of cool. And you know what? Maybe I'll get around to Gibbon someday. I'm not, am I going to read all six volumes, however many, 3,500 pages? Eh, I won't say no, I won't do that. I'll leave it at that. My range of reading, I think, has been expanded by this podcast. Well, I think, too, even that, we've touched on it a lot, but just our ability to engage in philosophical questions. I mean, one of our big things when we had the top 10, what my favorite top 10 episodes were, and I posed the question to you, like, what are some of your favorite episodes? We didn't necessarily agree, but I said, like, my favorite episode of The Broken Shelf is our episode on the essay, because it was the epitome of what you and I could do using this platform. You brought up the fact that at the beginning of that episode, we just got on a tirade of Nietzsche. And we've talked about Nietzsche and just you getting into general philosophy as well. And you and I have talked about the concept of human philosophy, written philosophy, in a lot more spheres than just this podcast. Because I think you and I are delighted to discuss just the intangible and almost expansive and almost unlimited potential of the human thought process. Metacognition, thinking about thinking. You and I like talking about metacognition. Yes, yes. There is a certain cognitive power, I think, that it can be gained from uh, uh, from reading serious books, absolutely. And yeah, I love that, you know, that, that uh, essay episode, because I was talking about a collection of essays that I was reading, and it was on various literary and philosophical subjects, and he had an essay on Nietzsche that I found fascinating. And it just led to a completely unplanned, off-the-cuff, 10-minute discussion between you and I on Nietzsche and our, our response to him. It was, it was lovely. It was lovely. You know, those off-the-cuff digressions that turn into very productive, just natural, free-flowing conversations, that was the best part of this podcast, I think. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So on that, and in, uh, if people want to go back and listen to it in our top, my top 10 episodes, I posed a few questions to, so you know, you like, what were your, some of your favorite episodes? What were some of the episodes you would do different? I think we need to, now that we've discussed what the podcast has done for you, uh, I'm going to pose two questions. One, what were some of your favorite moments? Not necessarily specific episodes, but what were some of your favorite moments? And on the opposite side of that, to reflect what I asked in that podcast, tell us what were some of your favorite moments? And then what were some of the things you would absolutely go back and fix either about yourself or about this podcast as a whole? What do you think you or this podcast could have done better to be a better product? Well, a few moments that come to mind, getting an actual response from the author of one of the books we reviewed. Uh, I can't remember her name, but it was... Allison Bliss. 
Alison Bliss, the author of Size Matters, the romance novel reviewed, and not only getting response, but a favorable response. From a female author, when we were acting, we were being facetious, but she was having fun. But we were very constructive at, like, we, we played it up a little bit, but we did have good points in that episode. Like, we weren't entirely unfair. I didn't even think, no, I didn't even think we were being uh, misogynistic. I thought we were perfectly respectful, but um, that she took it, um, we had legitimate criticisms and we expressed them. And yeah, she took it just completely and good natured and like a pro and said, you guys are hilarious. We love that. That was awesome. Yeah, seeing that our work actually got a response in the real world, that was very encouraging to us. That, that has to be up there. Other favorite moments, um, I enjoyed our, our World War One series. That was a great moment. Every every episode there, I was I was um, I thoroughly enjoyed. I really did. I enjoyed talking about George Kennan with you. That was part of that. Um, I enjoyed revisiting Ford Maddox Ford, our hero. I enjoyed almost every episode. Routine jabs at Ernest Hemingway and James Joyce. I'm surprised we didn't take jabs at John Updike more. You talk about a guy. Oh, do I mean we had that uh, that episode where we had our top 10 overrated novels and we we went on a tirade. The funny thing is when when we look at this, I think we're a little bit facetious towards Hemingway because of being a chauvinist where we actually like crap crapped on James Joyce as a writer. We were like, yeah, he's influential, but we hate most of his books. So I, th- I just think it's funny that we bring up Ernest Hemingway in jest as a consistent joke. But like when we brought up James Joyce, yeah, but we did have that one episode where we went after Updike. We went after everybody on that episode. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed our, our insults on canonical authors who we felt needed to be taken down a peg, even if we do appreciate them. I'll always, you know, we've, we've talked about it endlessly um, ever since we did it. I, I'll always enjoy, I'll always enjoy re-listening to that Lord Weary's Castle episode. If anyone's going to take anything away from this podcast, know who Robert Lowell was, you know. He was, he was a great poet and a, and a fascinating individual. I enjoyed our banter after the podcast. It was like what I would imagine people going to, into the green room after a TV show, going in there and having drinks and just laughing for two hours straight. And for some, in some episodes afterward, we were on the phone for an hour, hour and a half afterward, just shooting the shit. It was awesome. Like sometimes we would have, I, unfortunately, a better conversation before when we were just like, hey, what are we talking about? And we would get going and be like, fuck, we really needed to have that on the podcast. And or like afterwards, we would have a great conversation be like, damn it, why couldn't we like, and again, it's because we're playing a version of ourselves on this podcast. So you're not getting 100% us, which kind of sucks. But yeah, just as I keep saying, it's an anchor for our friendship and it has allowed us to expand. But again, before and after the episodes, we've had some, we've had some great stuff that, you know, had we recorded, who knows, but you can't take that away. Those are some of the best times of, man, we just had a good conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as far as things that I wish we could have done, I know you asked for things that um, we could have done to improve the podcast, but I'll leave that part to you. To me, I mean, what that means to me was just things that, that we left out that I wish, or things that I left out that I wish I could have included. I, I wish, you know, <laughs> we've talked about them 10 billion times now. I wish I would have reviewed something by Ernest Hemingway. I, I wish I would have reviewed The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. That was the, I was about to say that. I wish you and I would have done the dual review of that. 
Yes. Where to see if my mind changed on it or not. And I know quite a bit about both authors, not only their work, but their lives, you know. Like I said, our tastes, they're going to evolve, they're going to shift, they're going to change over time. I don't like most of the writers that I was uh, enthusiastic about when I was 18, but two that have stayed with me since then. They might not be my absolute favorites today, but I appreciate them as much or more than I did then, or as Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway. I wish we would have done something by that. I really do. Or even just watch that movie, the Einhorn and Finkel, or whatever the... Einhorn and Finkel. That's always what I think about when I think about Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. What is it, Hemingway and... uh... Uh, Gellhorn. Gellhorn, his third wife. I wanted to review a long historical work, and I never did that. I never got around to doing that. So yeah, I mean, that's those are the only regrets I have. It's just things that I talked about doing that I wanted to do that we never got around to um, producing episode four. So yeah, what about you? What are your... um, Favorite moments? I have so many favorite moments. I think I'm going to do the opposite first. I really believe I need to express this to the audience and to everybody else. So there's a lot I would have changed. So much. I think first and foremost, and it's difficult to say this because of course hindsight is 2020. You don't, you don't know. Now I, I have said like I needed this in my life. You knew I needed this. I think the others knew I needed this as well. And Alan and I talked about this in his reflection episode and Spangar and I talked about this a little bit in his episode. But I think one thing that should have been important is we all should have sat down and I should have told you guys like, I want this to make money. You guys don't have to be on every episode, but we need some more anonymity or whatever. I can't say that word ever. We needed to stay more anonymous and get out advertising. We got a lot of views on certain episodes, but I truly believe we had an audience out there and we could have taken advantage of something. Had I had a little help, I don't know who it was going to come from, but if one of you, mostly Spangar, Alan, like gone out and did YouTube or did Reddit or like I needed someone to advertise, I feel like had we gotten some fans to say, hey, maybe try this or do this, if we would have gotten a more active audience, I feel like we had the potential to blow up. And I think a lot of that starts with two things. One, going into it with not the dreaming mindset we'll make money, but the mindset that we are going to make money, let's treat this like a business. We have to have a plan, we have to attack. And if we did that, I might have put in a little bit more work, you guys might have put in a little bit more work, We needed to treat it like a business, like how I've treated it basically this last year. But because I knew it was going to end, there was no point in doing anything more. The other thing is more communication between everybody in the podcast. One thing that you and Alan admitted, admitted, you've only listened to episodes that you guys have been on. I should have told you guys, you need to listen to a Spencer episode. You need to listen to an Alan episode. You need to go out and say, listen to someone else, see what they're doing, use it as a way to either improve or to help me tell them, hey, maybe they should do this. We were unfortunately a pocket of five different individuals working with me. So it was me being a different Danny Archive with each individual because I knew how you each reviewed. 
Instead, I should have made us a cohesive team that planned out things that worked better as a unit and helped each other improve. Yes, we absolutely improved as individuals in our outside life and in the podcast. But to me, if I could have got you guys on the like the well-oiled machine, the broken shelf had so much potential. And if we would have treated it a little bit more like a business, especially in year two and three, I feel like we could have gone somewhere because I know there's an audience out there. I know we are good on the mic, but those are definitely the two things where I look back and I say, if I personally, as the person who took up the mantle selfishly to lead, if I would have pushed them to be a team, to be a unit, to advertise, I think we could have gone somewhere. And to an extent, I think I'll look back and say, those four years weren't a waste, and I have learned from those four years. It's not a true failure, but I know we maybe could have gone somewhere had we tried slightly a little bit harder and communicated better. Uh, what are some of your opinions on that? I think you have some good points there. You're right. This could have gone further if it were a little more organized and each of us knew exactly what we had to do. But then again, there's something that you have to factor in that is just, it's always going to be a factor in whatever creative endeavor we pursue. Life intervenes. We each had our own lives to live, and I think all four of us are career-driven, too. That's going to take away from that. It just is. It kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier with me. Do I have, have I had dreams of becoming a writer? Yes. But at the same time, I'm not ready to give up my other career yet you know, the career I went to college for. And I don't know how you do it, to be honest. I don't know how you can find the time to write in the side and yet maintain an important high-functioning job. I, I really don't. I think, though, like, you love your job more than I do. Like, I truly believe that I've needed... I truly needed the creative outlet. I don't think I would have ever gone to a dark place, but I think I truly m mentally needed a creative outlet because I was going to scream. I just could not stand, especially that first job that I hated, and you know how much I hated it. I mean, you, when we recorded that World War, the first episode of the World War I, the George Kennan, I mean, you remember, my bed wasn't even in my room. It was in front of the fucking bathroom. And I never moved it on the floor because I didn't feel like setting it up. My bedroom in that apartment in Grand Rapids was the recording room. And I slept on the floor in front of the bathroom because I, I didn't feel like doing anything. I was lazy when I got home because I was just stressed out. And this gave me the avenue to be better, to be creative. And as I continued to work through that, I continued to need it. And so... It was just one of those things like where I had learned by doing it and pushing through it, like it helped me facilitate the stress of work. So it was a lot easier for me. And I always understood like you guys had your other lives, your career driven, but I still think, you know, if I could throw a hundred bucks your way every week, like you'd be like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm down for it. Give me my hundred dollars, you know, and we could have pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. But I think above all else, the one thing I would tell everybody is like, I still think like, I wish you would have listened to one Stewart episode or, you know, just to get some feedback from people just to say like, Hey, Alan could do this or Spangar can do this. Or I feel like, again, it was five small echo chambers of, well, as long as I get my review done, I don't have to think about it anymore. When I wish I would have just poked and prodded you guys to be like, guys, I want you to think about the broken shelf as a whole, not your episode of the broken shelf. Because with Alan too, like, he never went back and listened to like any of his old episodes either. And I'm like, dude, like that's how you improve. I don't need five echo chambers. I need the broken shelf.
the whole unit, we are a team. And I think even I could have worked with that while you guys were career focused as well. But I do believe those are the two things that I'll look back on and be like, ugh. But I will use that. Like if I ever start a podcast again or a business, these will be valuable lessons. So it's not a complete failure. I will never look at it that way. But I do think about that often if I would have just poked and prodded the bear just a few more times. Yeah, and you should never look at it as a failure. It absolutely wasn't. When you become a published writer, you're going to look back on this as where it all began. I really believe that. I got to be careful. I, I'm going to have to use a pseudonym because I don't know if I, like, if I use talk about the broken shelf and stuff and then everybody's going to come back and listen to him and cancel culture us because of some of the shit that we said. <laughs> These last three episodes, the three reflections should be like listened to obviously in order, but taken into a bigger context, like what the podcast means to me, because it's so hard to put my words into even just two hours as we're getting close to the two hour mark. But those are my major things. I really do wish, though, we had just one person reach out to us and say, other than an author, say, hey, I like the episode. I wish we would have had one fan say like, hey, maybe fix this. Because I feel like in a lot of places we got stagnant. I think we changed the style enough. Our freeform stuff is fantastic. But I think in certain individual episodes, especially with my solo episodes, they got really stagnant. It's funny how... For instance, like when we originally started, the day that I posted was my favorite day because it was done, the product was out there, where now Tuesdays when I post are my least favorite days. I hate posting an episode because I always feel like they could be better or we're coming to an end. So there's that melancholy sadness to it. But also for a year like two and three, I loved editing my solo episodes because they were the quickest to get through. Where now I find myself being so self-conscious in my episodes and making them perfect that I almost prefer the episode with you guys because even though there's a little bit more to edit, it's more fun because we have gotten better. So even though I've perfected listening to my own voice over four years, it's just weird some of the cycles that I've gone through of loving the posting part and then now I hate it or loving my solo episodes and then loving group episodes. So the cycles that you go through, but I do believe overall, there's so many pleasant moments. Again, talking with you before or after an episode, every t-shirt moment that I had, one of my favorite things to do is when I'm editing, text one of you guys like, hey, did you remember when you said this funny line? Because we backlog these episodes. So sometimes it could be like a month before I get to edit an episode and I could text you like, oh my God, I forgot we talked about this. Or man, Alex, you really nailed this one line or you had this fascinating point. Those were some of my favorite memories. Editing and finding my t-shirt moments were just great, but overall the camaraderie. And yes, I had, as I said, some things I wish we could have changed about it, but even if I had to poke and prod you guys to get an episode to record it, I just felt so good afterwards because we just had a great conversation. Sharing time with my mom, getting closer with Alan, Spangar, you, and even Travis, just some of the reviews that we got to do, but one thing I do want to say, you mentioned the World War I thing. I was always scared because World War I is my favorite moment in history. But I am so proud of the fact that 100 years, 11th day of the 11th month at the 11th hour, I posted an episode, the 11th of the World War I continuum. Those 11 episodes, while they could definitely be better had we done them now, I'm proud. I did something to celebrate my favorite human event 100 years after it happened, and no one can take that away from me. 
it's very special to my heart, including that you participate in four episodes, I believe, in it, correct? No, three. So it was just truly magical that I got to do that. And it's so hard to pinpoint and lock down moments, but I truly enjoyed also these final episodes from the top 10 book reviews to the top 10 episode review to the reflection episodes. These last eight episodes have brought out so much in us as individuals, and I don't think I could have ended The Broken Shelf in a better way. I may look back and say, maybe that's not the way I wanted to celebrate the last episode. Maybe we should have done something bigger, but I think it comes down to you and I started this thing. I made the selfish decision that the Legion Soul Food is going to be The Broken Shelf. You were a part of that. This four-year journey truly started in 2017 when you and I sat down and recorded the first three episodes. I edited them and I posted them on January 3rd, 2018. And I don't think The Broken Shelf could have ended without me and you just reflecting on the whole thing. So regardless of whether I think this could have been done better, I think it's poetic that it had to be done this way. Combine the last three episodes, 209, 210, and 208, and it's just a trilogy of how I feel, how you guys feel, where we were, where we started, where we are now. And I think that's beautiful. I think it's full of pride. I think it's humble, emotional. It's human. And it's art. And I think any artists believe that they can make something better. But art is meant to be appreciated by those that participate and those that listen, not necessarily by those that produce. And I've loved this process. It's been hard. It's been fulfilling. And I can always use it. And I can always come back to it. I think this is how it had to end. We had a goal in mind. We didn't reach the pinnacle. But I wouldn't trade it away. And I believe this is how this journey had to come to an end. And as we move into the outro, I just want to say thank you, Alexander the Tsar. This has, as I really get emotional, this has been a blessing to share with all of you. Danny Archive would not be Danny Archive without these last four years. And he certainly wouldn't be him without taking so many chances. I would not be where I am today without The Broken Shelf because The Broken Shelf gave me the ability to take a chance and move to South Carolina when I could have easily just stayed in Michigan. It gave me the courage to try new things. It gave me the courage to be honest with the co-host. It gave me the courage to be me. And for that, Alex, thank you for joining me on this journey. It's been surreal. And I believe I've kind of moved us towards the end, and I think it has to end that way because that's just how I go. So, Alex, what are some of your final words as you reflect on what I've said, what we've done, and what do you want to leave behind as we move towards the end? Well, I'm, uh, of course, I'm very touched by those words, and I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for bringing me along. It's been an honor. It's been a lot of fun. I can't imagine a better person. I can't imagine any other person to do this with. <laughs> what have brought you kicking and screaming to do it? <laughs> kicking and screaming. Well, I mean, maybe initially, but uh, ever since, you know. And, you know, with me, I was very involved in the beginning. Not so much after that. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it for various reasons. 
But I was more relaxed when I was just a guest once every couple months, I think, afterward. I was more relaxed. I didn't have to stress out over preparing for an episode. and I could just go at it freestyle, and it became something I, I really looked forward to rather than dreaded having to prepare for. I couldn't be more grateful. I really couldn't. To be a part of this and to, and to watch you get so much value out of this, to watch you work so hard and commit yourself to something was very inspiring. So I just want to thank you. If this is me signing off, I want to close with a quote because you know I liked quoting writers. I just planned this within the last few minutes as we've been talking. I didn't work out this way and I just realized what I did. So our first, very first review was of a memoir by Martin Amos called Experience. And the book I'm reading from, and this quote, is also by Martin Amos. And it just happened to work out that way. I honestly did not plan that. Martin Amos is, is, is an essay on Saul Bellow, my favorite novelist. And he's quoting Saul Bellow here. And I just want to read from this. This is uh, something you all can keep in mind, perhaps when you're feeling down or uninspired or that, you know, you have no real purpose in life. Just uh, just remember these words. Um, Saul Bellow here is talking about the difficult mental work we all do, and he's, he's comparing it to, uh, to physical work. And this is from Adventures of Augie March, his most famous novel. All the time you thought you were going around idle, terribly hard work was taking place. Hard, hard work. Excavation and digging. Mining, mulling through tunnels, heaving, pushing, moving rock. Working, 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 panting, hauling, hoisting. And none of this work is seen from the outside. It's internally done. It happens because you are powerless and unable to get anywhere. To obtain justice or have requital, and therefore, in yourself, you labor, you wage in combat, settle scores, remember insults, fight, reply, deny, blab, denounce, triumph, outwit, overcome, vindicate, cry, persist, absolve, die, and rise again. All by yourself. Where is everybody? Inside your breast and skin. The entire cast. That's powerful. Good stuff. I think it's a beautiful eulogy of your time on this podcast. Actually, it's funny you brought that up because I have two very short quotes from one of my favorite books, Dante Alighieri's Inferno. Do not be afraid. Our fate cannot be taken from us. It is a gift. This has been a gift to me. Our time together, my time in yours, my time in Spangar, my time in Allen's, my time in Travis, and definitely my time in Mama Archive. I don't know what fate awaits me. The Broken Shelf was always a dream. One that, honestly, did not reach its peak. But as most dreams do, they warp, they change, they mold, they become refined, they open pathways to other dreams. And that is what The Broken Shelf has meant to me. It is a dream that led to other dreams. Perhaps I started with writing and knew that with my loud mouth, I had to speak. So I spoke. I spoke with my friends. I spoke to an audience. I edited my words. I replaced my words. I crafted my words. I made my words better. I honed them. And then I learned that by doing such, I could do it to my writing. Why couldn't I do what I had done with my speech and what I originally had wanted to do? This journey started when I wanted to write my own story, when I fell in love with reading again. Through so many different spheres, I hated reading when I grew up. And then, when it felt like there were no more stories to watch, to experience, 
I picked up a book, and that was The Furies of Calderon by Jim Butcher, which I still love and we have reviewed. From there, it led me on a new journey into fiction. Not traditional, tasteful fiction like All Quiet on the Western Front or The Great Gatsby. Those are classics for a reason, but I wanted something deeper. I didn't want necessarily the mental challenge. I wanted to experience stories that have not been proclaimed as golden compasses of literature. I wanted stories that taught me things I'd never seen before because I'd never wanted to learn them before. And when I did, I grew bored quickly again. Maybe not in the same way, but I learned a lesson. I learned I wanted to share my own story. That became a dream to write. And I failed. And I learned from that failure because I quit. I didn't understand that you never produce a masterpiece when you first put pencil to pen just because you have a dream. I didn't know what work was. So the dream sat and it became a nightmare when I became an adult because I didn't know how to work. I was protected by my parents, by society, by college, by this net, and then I had to grow up quickly. And I was depressed. And so I came to you guys and said, I have to speak. I have to bring light to a new dream. That was the broken shelf. And once the broken shelf had broken through, it gave me other avenues of delight. And I finished my first ever book. That book led to another book. That book led to another book. That book led to ideas. Those ideas led to other rough drafts. But in the background was the broken shelf. That dream, it's time to let go. Because it's time to pick up the original dream and fulfill it. Because the broken shelf gave me the ability to work. It taught me effort. It taught me resilience. It taught me communication. It taught me failure. It taught me responsibility. And I cannot thank anyone that has worked with us, anyone that has listened to this enough. The dream has come to an end, but I would not change a thing. Hindsight does not work in this picture because this dream will give way to a new dream. This is my time capsule to me, to Alexander the Tsar, to Spangar, to Al Inclusive, to Mama Archive, to Travis Archive. We have achieved over 75% of podcasters quit after episode 21, not even a halfway through a year. We made it four, four plus if you count some of the other episodes. We have had some bitter times. We have had some great times. We've had some stinkers. We've had some success. But overall, we have had dreams. And it's time to let those go and create new ones. Alex, thank you. And for the last time, everyone, thank you. You have all given me so much, but now it's time to go and fulfill other dreams. Ladies and gentlemen, faithful legionnaires, this was the final episode of The Broken Shelf. 210 wonderful week-to-week podcast episodes. We may never see you again, but I promise we have fixed some shelves together, and these shelves are no longer broken. It's time to go fill new shelves.